0: you have the privilege of reading God's Word today. I invite you to stand, if you can, with me as we honor God's Word. I'll be reading this morning from the book of Galatians, the second chapter, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose this is the word of the Lord
1: thank you Brian would you pray with me you may be seated father as we come together your word, to hear from you, Lord, we recognize that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We recognize, God, that your gospel and your word have authority, so we submit to your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to have a filter that any agenda or anything that is from my own heart and not from you, Lord, that that you would be the one that speaks this morning. And Lord, we, we, we receive your word, and we look forward to your spirit illuminating this gospel text this morning. I pray, God, that when we hear the word justification, that we would be able to internalize and truly embrace what that means for us today. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. This morning, over the sermon title is Gospel Justification, or in other words, How God Sees You. This word justification is a word, if you're in seminary or theology class or been coming to Bible studies for a while, you've probably encountered it. It's a, it's, a, it's a doctrine in the Christian faith. And I believe in this text that we're looking at, Paul is wanting the church to truly understand what it means to be justified. Justification, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? We use this word often in all sorts of different circumstances, and maybe to help you understand this word, it'd be helpful for you to think about moments when you are not justified. For example, years ago, I thought that I was going to take up the game of golf. That's a pretty easy sport, right? So, uh, I started playing with some friends, and we would go to the driving range, and I got a great lesson on hitting golf balls. And I felt like I was particularly really good at the chip shot, which is a shot that you hit up 100 or so yards high and short and onto the green. And so, I started thinking. Man, I I think I got this. And if you know where I live, I live on Congressional Street in Green Hills, and there's a in my house, and then there's a brick wall, and then there's a par three across the street. About a hundred or so yards from my backyard. So being the you know pro golfer that I am, we we're in the backyard one day, and I'm with my wife, and at the time it was just Tristan. And, uh, and I said, You know what? I bet you I can make it onto the green from our backyard. And my wife, Brianna, who is the cooler head, said, No, Logan, that's a horrible idea. And I said, I got this. I can do this. And she said, No, Logan, do not hit the golf ball onto the green. There's a, lot, a million different ways this could go wrong. And I said, you just watch this. And my son is sitting there and I line up and I'm envisioning, I'm envisioning myself, not just hitting it onto the green, but probably making a hole in one from my backyard. I'm envisioning future sermon illustrations of the time that I did that. So I line up, take my swing, and just crush the ball but i don't hit the ball up i i do hit the ball but i hit it straight at our play set it bounces off the play set whizzes by my son's head and through our window <laughs> looking at my wife and i have no justification there is no way that i can justify what i just did there is no excuse And to this day, actually, in the first service, this is the first time our family has shared this story with anybody. There's no justification for that decision. And in this passage, as we think about justification, this word is about having court. It's a legal word. The opposite of justification would be condemnation, which is where a judge would say, would, would declare that you are condemned guilty. Justification is where a judge declares you are right or righteous. And so, as we think about what it means to have gospel justification, Justification is this, this would be the definition that we would use, is being declared righteous in the eyes of God. So when God sees you, he declares you as righteous. And this is what Paul is preaching about and writing about in Galatians to the church. He wants the church to think about How can I be justified? Because if you remember in the Galatians story, is there's a whole bunch of debate and controversy over the gospel. There are these Judaizers that are saying, you need to follow the law to be justified. You need to follow the works of the law perfectly. And Paul is addressing this thought. And so the first thing I think that we learn in this text as we think about what it means to be justified, to be seen as righteous in the eyes of God, that Paul wants the church and wants you and I to know this morning is first, you can't be justified by what you do. You can't be justified by what you do. Look at what he says here. He says, we know, in verse 16, a person is not justified by works of the law. Or in the end of 16, by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And I think oftentimes I hear this truth and I think, yes, yes, I agree, no one can be justified. But I do think that sometimes in our minds, we still make excuses and we try to make our case by works. For example... I'm sure you've never said this, but maybe you've heard this said, as you think about standing before the Lord and the Lord is judging you based on your life here on earth, right? You're at the pearly gates and you're trying to, and you're, it, this is the moment of judgment. And maybe as you think about this, maybe you've heard this said, well, I just hope that my sins are outweighed by my goodness. I just hope that the good things that I've done outweigh, tip the scales towards being right. Jesus spoke about this himself in Matthew chapter 7 as he was addressing this idea of, I just hope that I'm good enough. Look at what he said when he was writing about this moment. He said this, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The language there is a perfect. The one who follows it perfectly. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Seems to be something about recognizing that once you go against the law of God, this is where we land, being workers of lawlessness. Or maybe the other excuse we may use as we think about how to justify our sin would be, well, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm not like that person. I, I think, like, on the scale, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm definitely better off than Hitler, I feel like if I compare myself to the world around me and the darkness around me and, and maybe even that, that neighbor or that relative that I know, I, I feel like I'm better than them. Once again, Jesus taught about this and he gave us a really, I think, insightful parable in the gospel of Luke. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. It says in verse nine, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were good enough, that they were justified. He said this, there was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a religious leader standing by himself, and he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I help with the soup kitchen. I I, I volunteer my time. I I raise my kids in private school. I, 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 I love everybody. I care for everybody. I do all these things. But the tax collector, standing far off, Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus makes the point of the parable. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the one who knew himself to be a sinner, went down to his house, what's the word there? Justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted david wrote and sung about this in psalm 143 verse 2 he said enter not into judgment with your servant he's talking about his relationship with the lord For no one living is righteous before you. Or you go and read Romans 3, it says there's none righteous, no, not one. And so as we think about our justification, standing before the Lord, it's important to first understand that you cannot be justified by what you do, but it doesn't end there. The sermon's not over there. Hallelujah. Because Paul wants the church and you and I to know this church. You are justified by faith in what Christ's done. You are justified by faith in Christ's done. It's not a typo. You are justified by faith in Christ done. What he has done. In justification. But we believe as Christians, when you put your faith in Jesus, we believe in this theology, this doctrine called imputation, where Christ took on my sins, my sins, the, the, those that I cannot justify, were put on Christ, the innocent Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He took on my sins on the cross. He took the price of my sins on the cross. And I am justified. My sin is not justified. I am justified because my sins are on Christ. So God sees me as justified. And declares me as justified. And this is the only way. This is why when Jesus came in John fourteen six, he said this, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me it's the only way for justification because truly our position apart from Christ is like me sitting in my backyard and my sin with no justification for what I have done against our holy righteous God Martin Luther one of the great reformers and our Christian family struggled with this idea You see he grew up wanting to be a lawyer and then felt called in to the ministry and became a monk in the Roman Catholic Church and he had this struggle where in, the, in the Roman Catholic Church, you would come and confess your sins, and he would spend hours confessing every single little sin that he could ever think of. And he would, and, and he got to the point with the other monks where they were saying, Okay, Luther, it's good. He would get almost irritating, and then he would he would confess, and he would think, I'm good, and then he would go to sleep at night, and then he would forget, I forgot to confess this sin. I must go do this. And then he's st- stumbled on the doctrine of justification by faith. The doctrine of Christ done, of what he has done, and Luther's perspective changed as he started to recognize as Christians that we fix our eyes on this truth of how God sees us in light of Christ. This is what Luther said as he was thinking about The gospel of justification. He says, this is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth, most necessary it is, therefore, hear this, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually, This idea of justification, of how God sees me, is something that we learn and grow and discover regularly. And so we recognize that gospel justification is by faith alone. And Paul here is making this statement. He wants... The church to see the power that not just remember last week we talked about the unity of the gospel, and he wants the church here to see that they are unified in this truth. As we look at this passage in Galatians, just look at these first couple verses here about what, what, what he what they believe about grace alone, about faith in Jesus alone for our justification. Notice there's three parts. They call them in the commentaries the triple threat of evidence for justification by faith alone. First, he says in verse 16, we know that a person, this is general, generally speaking, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gets personal. He says, so we, he's saying me and Peter and the apostles, we, also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And then he gets universal. He says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's one way. And so he wants the church to understand this, but he also anticipates in the next verse his critics responding and saying, so then what do we do if like, we just put our faith and then just keep on sinning? Like if Jesus has done it all, how do we respond? What do you say to those people that have put their faith? But yeah, I can still see that they're, that they're not perfect. Paul anticipates this here. In verse 17, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, to put our faith in what Jesus has done, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? He's anticipating this response. He says, certainly not, exclamation point. Certainly not. Why why, why does he say that? He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, if I go back to the law that Jesus died and completed to fulfill, I prove myself to be the transgressor. That is on me. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And this beautiful verse here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. His response to this argument against justification by faith is this. You see, justification by faith in Christ done, forever changes what you do. In this passage, he's saying here when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you are declared righteous and you are a new creation. Now, are you perfectly glorified? no in the eyes of god you are seen as righteous but until you are in glory will they'll be perfectly glorified there's another church where we like to use called sanctification this sermon is not about sanctification but in essence it is the process of becoming more like christ becoming who you are But what Paul wants the church to understand here is it is ridiculous to suggest that you would want to live in sin. He's not saying that the gospel demands that you, you know, all of a sudden the law demands that you live this way. He's saying if you are changed by the gospel, you want to live this way. Do you see the difference? There's something in your heart and who you are that responds there's this gospel response so it is ridiculous to suggest that you would continue to want to live in sin to want to go against the way of your savior the one who has changed you and he wants the church to understand that that's why next week in the very next text, he says, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Like he wants the church to understand that this doctrine, this truth of how God sees you is paramount. And it changes who you are. It changes who you are. Faith in Christ done changes what you do so the fruits of the gospel will flourish and grow out of that and as we think about that the question that we ask ourselves today that we ask ourselves every week the so what question is how then shall we live what does this mean for us. And I think the first response and the best response to that question is so simple. Believe in Christ Jesus. Believe in Christ Jesus. In this text, when Paul refers to believing in Christ Jesus, the Greek there is to believe into Christ Jesus. Suggesting a commitment to Christ Jesus. Suggesting a following, a response, a relationship with Christ Jesus. One of the wonderful Pictures of the church's relationship with Jesus Christ is the picture of a wedding. I've been officiating a bunch of weddings this month, so they've been on my mind. And there's this beautiful picture in a wedding of Christ the groom and the church, those that put their faith in him as the bride. And in a wedding, you can see vows being taken of commitment to relationship and life together. Sacred vows, and we know that Christ's vows to us were given on a cross. His example to us in this relationship was taking on my sin and laying down his life for me freely. I love in 220 when he says this truth. I have been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that? And so as we think about believing in to Jesus Christ, there's a commitment response in that way. And I would just encourage you, don't just floss over that or just miss this point. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ are you justified by faith in him we have some incredible responses and opportunities you could you could say hey you know what I'd love to learn more about this or I would love to show the world the sacrament of baptism. I'd like to get baptized and show everybody a visible picture of the invisible spiritual reality of what Jesus has done in me. Maybe that's you or maybe you're watching online and you would like to make that profession of faith. Do that. Do that this morning, right now in this moment. Say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. And I put my faith in what you have done for me. I put my faith in your done work on the cross. So that's the first point that we must not miss. But the second is also important. Stop justifying your sin and behold the wonder of Christ Jesus. I think oftentimes we make excuses for our sin or we justify our sin. Or we say, I'm going to work on that as opposed to the solution to my sin is always beholding the wonder of Christ Jesus. I want to read to you a quote from Martin Luther. It's a long quote, but I just couldn't cut anything out from it because I've been, I just think it's so good. And the first service didn't get this quote, so you guys get extra credit. And as you read this, think about this truth that we want to learn the gospel, that the gospel is so important, and this doctrine is so important. It's not just something you check off and say, I got that, what's next? Listen to this. He says this When you hear an immature and unripe saint trumpet, that he knows very well that we must be saved by the grace of God without our own works, and then pretend that this is a snap for him. Well then, have no doubt that he has no idea of what he is talking about and probably will never find out. For this is not an art that can be completely learned or of which anyone could boast that he is the master. It is an art that will always have us as pupils while it remains the master. Stay with me. This is about the point in a quote when we check out. And all those who do understand and practice it do not do not boast that they can do everything. On the contrary, they sense it like a wonderful, wonderful taste of odor that they greatly desire and pursue. And they are amazed that they cannot grasp it or comprehend it as they would like. They hunger. They thirst and yearn for it more and more. And they never tire of hearing about it or dealing with it, just as St. Paul himself confessed that he has not yet obtained it. And in Matthew 5, 6, Christ calls those who blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. you think about these truths, has the gospel of justification by faith done something in you where you hunger and thirst for righteousness and are satisfied? And this is what helps us and speaks into us when we wonder, how does the Lord see me? How does the Lord look at me? And maybe how do you think and reflect on Jesus? Charles Spurgeon said this, Behold the wonder. There he hangs upon the cross. This is the greatest sight you will ever see. Son of God and Son of Man. There he hangs, bearing pains unutterable. The just for the unjust to bring us to God. Oh, the glory of that night. The innocent punished, the holy one condemned, the ever-blessed made a curse, the infinitely glorious put to a shameful death. The more I look at the suffering of the Son of God, hear this, the more sure I am that they must meet my case, that I am justified. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And finally, believe, behold, and church, live as God sees you. Live as God sees you. In justification, there is this thing that we miss sometimes. You see, we believe that Christ has taken on our sin. We call this imputation. Our sin has been imputed onto Christ. But what is incredible about justification is not just that Christ has taken on my sin. I'm not just an empty slate. What is wonderful and beautiful about the gospel of justification is that Christ's righteousness has been imputed onto me. So when God sees me, he doesn't see just a clean slate. He sees, hear this, the righteousness of his son. The perfect righteousness of his son. And I become an heir, an adopted child in his family. And I live as one who is seen like. I think far too often we fall into works justification and we live in shame and we live in guilt and pain and gospel justification lives by faith in what Christ has done and knows that God sees me as righteousness I want to close by reading. Paul's thoughts on this in 2 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bibles and you're watching online or with us, would you just encourage, I just encourage you to read along, I'd love for you to read it in the text itself, and as I read this, pay attention to the word reconcile, You know, in our world right now, there's a lot of pain and hurt, a lot of accusations of the way that humans treat each other, of inequality. And I want you to see that God's people live a certain way in light of some reconciliation truths. And as we think about in today's day and age, I want us to see the gospel call here. Look at what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if they put their faith in Christ, into Christ, committed to him, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, given by God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, here's the call, the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, church, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin to be your sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God church as we have conversations about reconciliation, which we need to have, we must recognize that the first point of reconciliation starts with being reconciled to God. But those that are reconciled to God are reconciled to their brother and their sister. And so any sort of prejudice, any sort of of unjust treatment, we must repent from and turn from and be a people that is about reconciliation. Do you see this? And this is the theme of this gospel. And so I pray that as we think about responding to this, that we together would be about this truth this morning. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song called Living Hope. And the song is literally just about singing of who Jesus is. It's about singing about what he's done and about declaring my faith and committing my faith to him. And church, I just want to encourage you where you are. When we sing to stand and to sing and to let these words that we sing be the words that are coming from your heart as a people that are ambassadors of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for these gospel truths. Thank you that you have called us to a life that is justified, that is justified by faith in what you have done. Thank you that not only did you take on our sin and pay for our sin on the cross, but that you have clothed us in your righteousness, that you see us as righteous. So we pray, Lord, that we would live in that, that we would live that out, and that your ministry of reconciliation would be evident to us in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the words that we write, Lord. And we pray this not as something that we can do, but something that you have already done. So we declare our faith in that, and we declare our trust in you, Jesus Christ, the risen living hope that we have. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.